Welcome back to Beyond Bones, a series of kitchen table conversations between a doctor and her yoga teacher. Recently, Chloe and Eliza met again in Zurich. In this episode, Chloe and Eliza discuss emotions. We're sitting in a sort of park mountain cafe. Yes, in Zurich. You might hear some Swiss German voices and sort of chairs scraping and children hopefully laughing, maybe crying in the background. Which will go with our topic. Yeah. We're going to discuss emotion. <laughs> what we wanted to talk about today was um, actually our experiences of emotion arising from the body, being very much of the body, which is a way of thinking about emotions that possibly doesn't come that intuitively to people. But then I think when you start to get people really to reflect on what they feel when they feel sad. People do realize then that they feel a tugging in the chest area. They feel a constriction. They feel a sort of hollowness in their abdomen. And conversely, when you feel angry, you feel quite hot and you feel like the blood is rushing to your periphery. So once you start to think about the emotions in this way, you do start to realize how they're connected with things that are happening in the body, experiences that are going on in the body. So what I found after eight years of teaching at this point and 17 years of self-practice is that emotions are never going to go away. And they're a really vital part of how we experience ourselves experiencing things, how we experience others, and how we experience our perception, understanding of the world. And what I find so liberating and helpful with yoga and understanding one's emotions or experiencing also one's emotions or dealing with one's emotions is that it gives a space. It gives a little bit of a distance uh, between the experience of the emotion and perhaps a reaction Hmm. or a habit that may begin to form deeply in the body. And this is so useful for the person experiencing it, for the people around the person experiencing the emotion, and for one's growth as a human being. Yeah, absolutely. Um, When I was a medical student, working for the first time in a geriatric ward, I met a very inspirational geriatrician. And his view was that a lot of the diseases that we accumulate over the course of our lifetime come from habits people get into in order to avoid difficult emotions. And this sounds quite sort of out there and extreme, but... Not to me at (laughs) all. But how it sort of manifests. So say you have a deep feeling of sadness or shame inside of you, something like this, and you don't know where it comes from and you find it unbearable and you do everything you can to avoid this emotion. And when it starts to come up, perhaps you're in the habit of eating a cookie to make this go away. And you realize, oh, great, every time I eat a cookie, I can get rid of this feeling. Um, But the feeling doesn't go away, it just keeps coming. And then you just keep eating more cookies and you start getting all of the diseases that are associated with eating lots of cookies over a lifetime. Um, Other people might use cigarettes or alcohol or 
other sort of maladaptive coping mechanisms. So what do you do about these addictions and these habits that you are using to regulate and control your emotions in this way? You can't really get rid of them. Any addict will know that it's very easy to replace one addiction with another addiction. So often people, for example, who are addicted to heroin will stop taking heroin, but they will become alcoholic instead. This doesn't really solve your problem. The only thing that you really can do is learn to accept your emotions and learn that they come, they're fine, and they go. And this is human and good, and it guides you in your life. And a way that one can experience this in yoga is, let's say, you're doing a difficult posture. Let's say you don't like doing rope one at the wall, which is where you do quickly an upward dog and then quickly a forward bend and you swing back and forth. And a lot of people, this brings up some aversion. So the experience of this aversion or the experience of this having to do something that is difficult, you go through an emotional cycle of, oh, I don't want to go to the wall. I don't want to hold the ropes. I don't want to do this pose. Oh, I'm doing this pose now. It actually feels really good. Or even though I don't want to do this, I'm doing this because I came all the way to class and I'm going to participate in the class. Um, Or the end result feels good even though the process of it didn't feel good. And this is just a microcosm of a much larger macrocosm that I'm trying to illustrate. That going through this cycle of emotions within a three-minute period in class can be, can be like fertile ground for beginning to discover and develop your own wisdom. So you can learn that in a, a thought of aversion arises, it doesn't have to determine your action, it doesn't have to determine your mood, and it doesn't have to determine your choice. You can simply take an inhalation you know, in through your nose or even your mouth, down into your abdomen, which has a calming effect, and then exhale that aversion and quite quickly move on. And that is so valuable, and I'm gonna go so far as even to say life-changing, when you can realize that, that you don't have to let the emotion be the guiding factor that drives you unconsciously. So I think the first step is actually making the emotion conscious. So becoming aware of where its home is or where its source is and what makes it arise. And then can you just be with what arises? And there's many techniques that can follow from this. I was talking with a therapist and she said uh, just a very lovely metaphor that she uses with her clients that when they have a negative emotional pattern, she has them think of it that it just goes on forever, that it's actually never going to end. So somehow that gives permission for this emotion that is difficult, just thinking that it's never going to end. And then she said the effect is people are much more likely to change quickly and rapidly because they've given permission to themselves to allow the emotion. And I think this is another way that yoga really works, that a lot of the repressed or stored emotions, the Sanskrit word for this would be like a samskara, uh, will just naturally surface through the practice of pranayama and through the movement of asana and begin to 
become less, to have less strength and have less of a hold on a person. I suppose what you're talking about in some ways is not necessarily being aware of an emotion in the sense that we think about, oh, who caused me to feel this way? What is it about myself that, like, you know, this pattern of um, anxiety or rumination that you can get into? This isn't what we're talking about when we're talking about being aware. This is the genius of yoga. Of emotion. Yeah. What we're talking about is much more being aware of actually what it is in your body that is making you feel that way. And then you can very simply do the opposite with your body and not feel that way or allow that to be released. Um, and you know, in, through research in psychology and our understanding, um, even in Western science of what emotions are and where they come from, is that they are a large part of what they are, what we can see when we see emotions, is they are responses in the body, they're physiological responses. So. Um, there's lots of research done on the different combinations of your heart rate, the rhythm of your breathing, your breathing rate, your facial expression and the temperature of different body parts. And all of these together in an in algorithm, can you can tell what emotion someone is in without having to read their mind at all, without having to ask them. You can basically like link someone up to monitor these various things and you know precisely which emotion they are. It is a combination of different responses in the body. This will be quite intuitive to some people and probably to other people. They will feel much more that their emotions live in their in their mind, in their sort of thinking brain. Um, and if that's you, it's probably a really good idea to, when you feel a strong emotion, see that as a real gift and then go into your body at that moment and try and feel what you're feeling in your body. Um, how fast is your heart rate going? What is your breathing pattern? Are you breathing faster than you would normally? Is it more shallow? Is it more regular or irregular? What else is going on? Where do you feel patches of warmth or coldness? And this is a really useful place to start exploring these. And if you are somebody who struggles with emotional problems or you struggle with your mood, um, and mood we think of maybe as like a longer lasting sort of emotional climate um, so if you say have a have a low mood this can come out of having lots and lots of sort of negative emotions habitually but then it can also then predispose you to having negative emotions so although emotions are not sort of unhealthy if you get into these long-lasting moods either very manic or very um, low in mood, this can be unhealthy and can be very unhealthy on the body. So um, if you're someone who has problems with their emotions or with their moods, this is a good place to start, to start to, when you get these strong emotions, to go into your body and to see what you feel like there. Even if it's like despair or like real existential dread, <laughs> you can still go into your body and you can still feel what do I, f I feel really contracted here. I feel really cold here. I feel like this part of my body has got no warmth or life in it at all. These sorts of things is what you should start to notice. Because then you can actually do things with yoga, with your body that has the reverse effect on those. Um, so for example, we know in depression, people have colder core body temperatures. 
So this is why if you're depressed, you want to do yoga that warms you up from the inside. Um, and there are many other advices for people who, uh, do, who have depression and are doing yoga um, to try and help themselves. Yeah, I want to say really clearly that one of the powerful effects of yoga, as Chloe was summarizing some of what I was saying in one way from another perspective, is it's a path of self-responsibility. And I think that in itself already is so healing, is that rather than saying, oh, you know, this is my mother's fault, this is my partner's fault, this is my boss's fault, this is my colleague's fault, you know, though there may be a real situation there, I'm not saying to, to not face that, but when in dealing with the emotions, learning to go to this space where metaphorically it's you on your yoga mat, taking responsibility for how you feel, regardless of who has done what, because um, it's happening inside of you. And what's happening inside of you is affecting all of your internal organs. It's affecting how your brain functions. It's affecting how you breathe. It's affecting how you literally see the world. So it's really for your benefit to know what experiences you have with each emotion. And you can also sequence according to the emotion that you're feeling. So again, a healthy part of this taking self-responsibility is before you do any practice, meditation practice, yoga practice, a conscious walk, you know, in a nearby garden, something that you find to be healthy in your daily life, check how you feel. As simple as you would look out the window and see if it's raining and then bring an umbrella, check if what kind of care you need inside. Don't just dive into what someone has told you is good for you. So learn to self-assess and then actually self-correct. Then the power is really in your hands. And this is another deeply healing aspect of it, that you're not externalizing the power um, of someone else diagnosing you, telling you what you need, telling you what to do, and then you sort of being the recipient of you being sort of the sick one and then receiving you know, a treatment. And there's, there's no problem with any of that. That's necessary at times. But in dealing with emotions, it's going to go a lot better because you're the one experiencing the emotion if, you're if you can learn to self-regulate this. So, returning to sequencing, let's say you are quite depressed. Let's say you are quite sad. And as Chloe said, this is going to lead to feeling colder in the body. So this means that you need to do postures which are going to affect the nervous system, the prana, and the blood flow in a particular way. And there's one sequence which I just call in this a quick, in, in a pamphlet that I have, a quick pick-me-up. And this is a sequence that you could do any time during the day to make the mind feel light and to bring warmth and heat into the chest area. And they take you out of your head and into your body and it's very simple so i'm just going to say it stand in tadasana which is mountain pose so it's just standing posture 
lift your hands into Urdhva Hastasana, which is when you just lift your arms above your head and look up at the ceiling, look up at the sky, look up at the trees, and then lie down on the floor if you can, or lie down in the grass or wherever you're at, and just roll back and forth along your spine. So take your legs over your head and then lie flat, and take your legs over your head and lie flat. And if you are wake up and are really feeling like, oh, everything is so gloomy and I feel so sad, how can I face the world? If you do just these two postures, you will feel completely different. And I think when you test these things out and then you experience for yourself, oh, I woke up feeling cold, sad, depressed, kind of blue. I took five minutes, six minutes, and I changed how I felt. I generated heat, more blood flow happened in the body, and there was more wakefulness brought to the limbs by activating the spinal cord. Hmm. So this is just a small example and illustration of the power of yoga. And I'll mention one more sequence, and they're just poses that make you feel really powerful. So if you're feeling, again, more sad or lethargic, or it's winter, <laughs> and in winter I think we all feel this way, then you can access these poses that help you develop willpower, self-confidence, a feeling of joy, and they can help you be less anxious and scattered. And again, very simple poses. Vrikshasana, tree pose. Stand on one leg, bend the other leg so that the foot presses into the opposing thigh and lift the arms up. Second pose is chair pose, Utkatasana. It's basically sitting in a chair without the chair and lifting your arms up. Third pose is Virabhadrasana 2, Warrior 2. And the fourth pose is Virabhadrasana 1, which actually translates as Proud Warrior 1. So these warrior poses, you're doing long spinal extension, you're generating a lot of heat in the legs because you're working the legs really hard, you're lifting the chest, you're spreading the arms in opposing directions from the legs. And again, doing these poses, they're going to give you a sense of strength. They're going to make you feel powerful. And when you feel sad and depressed and depleted, you don't feel powerful. Mm. But this can be changed. And then a habit is something that you can cultivate. So you can cultivate a habit of getting yourself out of feeling these ways by doing these postures. Mm. And then I think what, will ha what happens over time with people that start exploring these things is that they start to become aware earlier and earlier on um, when their mood is dipping or their mood is going up um, in a way that they know might lead to something that is unpleasant, unhealthy, you know, destructive in some way. And they start to pick up on this earlier before it actually happens. And then they can adapt their habits to prevent them from sort of going into like full-blown um, despair or uh, anxiety. And so over time, you can end up having a more stable emotional life or st more stable sort of mood um, and this will allow you to build relationships with other people and and a relationship with yourself yeah yeah and often the relationship you have with yourself mirrors exactly how you relate to other people
Mm. And I just encourage everyone to reflect on that. Mm. So for example, because these are very fascinating truths. If you are very hard on yourself, then that reflects outward that you often don't accept people as they are. So this is a very interesting way to begin to work on yourself and just as a byproduct, improve all of your relationships with other people. Mm. And that is profoundly beneficial. And I'm glad we sort of have reached this point because I think the other thing that we have to say about emotion is that emotion exists in relation to the world and it particularly exists in relation to other people and other people's emotions so we know that we mirror other people's emotions we know that if we sit with someone who mirrors our emotions that can help us to regulate our own emotions we know how we develop our emotional life is very much a product of how the people around us when we were children responded to our emotional self and how what their own emotional self was like. So emotions are, are sort of, are, they're not um, isolated in you as a human being. They're constantly interacting with, with the world, but particularly with other people in relationship. Um, and this is something that I think we're going to explore a little bit further in the retreat that we are doing this, this coming year. We're going to delve deeper into how we experience our own emotions in relation with others on the upcoming retreat on the Danish island of Mon, May 7th to 11th, 2020. We are inviting people to bring, for example, their mother on the retreat, or their father, or their partner, or their child, or a sibling. Okay, you get the idea. So that we can do these practices in a room together, but that so we can also look at the patterns that we have of relating to people that are near and dear to us, because those are some of the most difficult patterns to see ourselves and some of the most beneficial relationships to actually really improve. Patterns we have in the way that we relate to these people in our lives often go very deep and they're very ingrained within us. And they're sometimes um, ingrained in the body and they come out in all sorts of ways and manifest in all sorts of ways in our lives. So what we want to help people to do on this retreat is to explore what those habits are, what those patterns are, what those bonds are, um, and think about getting some space within them, some movement, some freshness this sort of work you can obviously do on your own but it would be lovely if you could bring that important person with you and you could do it together because it's going to be you're going to have that mirror you're going to have it physically there in front of you so you can see this and play with it and understand it that might sound terrifying to some people (laughs) but it will it will be done in a very gentle way and a very sort of um, (laughs) non-confrontational we're going to work through the issues in our tissues (laughs) we're never saying that again it's good right (laughs) it is sort of good but sort of gross but yeah we're gonna try and work in a in a playful way i think often experience of going on a yoga retreat at least for me has been that something within me shifts and then i go back to the people i love and i have to sort of explain that to them 
but wouldn't it be nice if you did that journey together and something shifted there together and you had that joy together spend that time together um, so this is what this is was our vision for the retreat this, this is what we would really like to happen um, so yeah join us